Hello and welcome to another episode of our show. Today's guest is Doug Sands. Doug is a hypnotist and he's here today to educate us on what exactly that is, as well as the benefits of it and so forth. I learned a lot from this conversation and I deeply appreciate him being on. And I hope that uh, you both get a lot out of it and you enjoy it. Thank you for listening. Uncut, uncensored, and unfiltered. This is an open mind. And you're listening to I'm Probably Wrong About Everything. All right, we got Doug Sands with us. Um, he is a, a hypnotist. And we were actually just talking a little bit about that before and, and what that means. Um, so Doug, tell me, tell me a little bit about what you do. Yeah. So first off, thank you so much for having me on. My pleasure. What, what I do with hypnosis is I use the tools that we've been studying for uh, decades, for some, in some cases, 150 years to get people to a more open place where we then can use tools from psychology and neuroscience to make those changes where they're actually going to be accepted. And then after that, we're essentially zipping everything back up and checking our work to make sure that the changes we've actually done in that hypnosis session aren't going to last beyond the therapy room. So it, it, it almost sounds like, um, have you heard of ASMR? I have, yes. With the, with the lights? Yep. Have you, have you ever tried that? I have tried it. And the funny thing about hypnosis is that it's, you know, it's seen as like an alternative modality and everything kind of gets lumped in with it. So like when you go mm -hmm. to a hypnosis conference, you also have people from ASMR and NLP and um, acupressure and acupuncture, um, all those kind of off the wall things. But um, I find that I find that those things are very complementary. For me personally, I base most of my work in just like a very straightforward scientific hypnosis, but I go where the client wants to go. If a client comes in and they say, I had great success with ASMR and I kind of want to use some of that, I'm like, that's fine. If someone comes in and they say, I believe in past life regression, I personally don't like advertise that, but I meet that person where they're at because I find that builds that. Um, that level of trust and that rapport that you really need for hypnosis. Right. So, so you kind of take them in wherever they are and their understanding. I mean, if, if they're coming to you, obviously there's some trust in what they're doing, right? Yeah. They're not coming to you as a skeptic. Like there's no way the, the bowl works when you turn it and I look at it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> With the whole, uh, the, the trance thing. Yeah. Actually that's so Tell me a little bit about what exactly it is you do in a therapy session. Yeah. What does that look like? A typical session, the first, let's say for a first time client, the first time they show up, I'd spend at least 10 minutes just debunking the myths of hypnosis. Because mm -hmm. even people who have done their research essentially on hypnosis and who are pretty knowledgeable about it, they still have their own misconceptions. And so after I break down those, the next 10 to 15 minutes kind of surprise people. We actually work out exactly what it is they want for their suggestions in their own terms. So 
in hypnosis, it's not just me giving like beneficial suggestions about what I think their issue is. It's us working together to craft exactly what they want to fix and how they want it phrased so that their mind has already agreed with it before we go into hypnosis. And then after that, we go into the actual hypnosis session. I'm using proven language patterns and techniques to help people get to that, that theta state where uh, your brain is slowing down in frequency and you are more open to these suggestions. And then we make those suggestions and we do some um, tools and exercises from psychology and neuroscience and stuff like that. And then uh, I bring them out of, out of hypnosis. And the last five to 10 minutes, I usually run them through a secondary hypnosis session to double check my work, to future pace them, to make sure that the changes that we've worked on are not just linked to that room and that they're actually going to be applicable when they use it in real life in the future. Wow. This like, you know what? You, you, you brought up the myths. I actually want to talk about that because right now you're, you're shattering my preconceived notions of what <laughs> hypnosis is. So, so yeah. what are the myths? Oh, there's so many. The first yeah. one that I the most always common. Get, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The one that I always get is people ask, is hypnosis mind control? And we get that idea from uh, the idea of the guy swinging the pocket watch, which no one actually does that. We don't, we don't, there's not like someone selling pocket watches to hypnotists. It's <laughs> uh, just a myth. But uh, they get that idea from, I, I don't know if it's from comedy shows or like ideas of like Cold War assassins or something, but the idea of comedy shows. I always have to remind people that those people volunteered to be on that stage. They knew they were probably going to be doing some ridiculous things. And so that was part of that unspoken tacit contract when they went on stage. But they're not doing things that are outside of their wheelhouse. Like they might be dancing and singing or something or acting out. But those are things they could conceivably doing, be doing within their normal range of activities. It's essentially just lowering their inhibitions and making them more open to doing those things. Whereas in, in, you know, in the actual session in a therapy room, they don't expect to do that. That's not part of that trust, that tacit contract that we've established in that. And so they simply don't. When people ask if it's a mind control, I always tell them that we're working with your unconscious mind. And your unconscious mind is based in that fight, flight, or freeze response. It's that primal part of you. And if at any time that unconscious mind disagrees with something that you, that I as a hypnotist say, it's not, it's either going to ignore it or it's going to bring you out of trance completely because the unconscious mind has two goals to keep you safe, most importantly, and secondarily to keep you happy. And if the a hypnotist violates that trust it's most likely going to bring them completely out of trance. I actually had a hypnotist friend who practiced this and, and you know, did a, an informal study with uh, some of their clients. They gave them five suggestions and four of them were positive and five, the fifth one was mildly negative. Like, I don't know, you'll tell a stranger on the street you love them or something like that. And every single time the person was brought out of hypnosis because they had broken that trust that they had built with that person. And so that, that's what I say to that first myth, that hypnosis is mind control. That kind of blows that one out of the water. Um, the next one I get often is, can I get stuck in hypnosis? And I jokingly say like, you know, if you could, that'd be awesome because it's a pretty nice place to be. But uh, as we, you know, talking about the unconscious mind, 
your unconscious mind is eventually going to wake you up to use the bathroom at any, you know, at any rate. So no matter how long, even if I stop talking, your mind is going to bring you back up to waking consciousness, whether that's five minutes or 10 minutes. And that leads to kind of the third really big one that I run into. People think that hypnosis is sleep and that, you know, it looks like sleep, but it's not quite. You are conscious and aware of every single thing a hypnotist is saying while they're going in, while they're doing the hypnosis session, because otherwise you wouldn't be in hypnosis. You wouldn't be hearing the language patterns and your mind wouldn't be going to that deep state. So those are the three most common myths that I think I run into. Wow. That is, uh, well, cause I think of what, what, what I'm curious to know is, is what is going on in your brain when you're in hypnosis? But before we go there, how do you get into a state of hypnosis? Yeah, it's a lot of people think that hypnosis is something that a hypnotist does to you. Like I'm waving magic wand or something. What they don't realize is that it's actually a loop. It's a, they call it a, psychodyna a psychodynamic loop. And so essentially every time I hypnotize a person, I'm kind of going into hypnosis myself. And that allows us to build that deep rapport and that trust. But uh, to go into a hypnosis, you know, to, uh, to actually get to that theta state, um, you start off with something that hypnotists call an induction. And that's simply to get you out of your normal waking state down into a deep state. And that's what people see as the, the magic pocket watch. That's like a, that's a very primitive form of an induction. They're very, um, a lot of them are more complicated and a lot of them are very simple, but the whole concept is to get you to that state where you are relaxed and you are allowed, you're allowing yourself to create that state because hypnosis is a state that the subject creates. It's their own mind creating that subject by or that, that trance, that state, by going into those deep meditative states where their brain waves are slowing down. And so after the induction, we do the, the standard things. And then on the, on the way out, essentially just reversing that induction to bring them back to normal wakefulness. See, okay, and, and I apologize to listeners and to you, Doug, because I'm gonna be jumping around. I find this fascinating. You mentioned uh, theta states. And, and brain waves. Can you, can you touch on a little bit about what a theta state is and, and what these different brain waves are, you know, beta states and, and whatnot? Yeah, absolutely. So our normal waking state, like what we're at right now, that's the frequency we call uh, beta. And anything above that is considered gamma frequency. Anything mm -hmm. below that is where you start to slow down going closer to sleep. And so below beta, you have alpha state. And that's where you're at when you're in a, like a light trance, whether you're in um, highway hypnosis or you're in a flow state, or you are just getting really lost in a good movie or a TV show or a book or something like that. That's alpha state. And it's the same, it's the same idea as hypnosis, just a very light version of it. You know, like a low calorie version of hypnosis, I guess. Yes. Uh, below alpha is theta. That's kind of that golden state we're aiming for in hypnosis. And theta is sandwiched between alpha and delta. And delta is where you're at when you are sleeping or okay. in a coma or something. And so that's kind of why it looks like people are sleeping because they are relaxed and in that state, but you are hovering above sleep. Your mind is still consciously 
taking in information, but you are in that state where your, your body is relaxed and your mind is open to new ideas, but it's still got a little bit of its guard up just to make sure that you're still safe. And I think, yeah, that's a pretty good rundown of it. Wow. That is, uh, Okay, I'm like I'll be honest, man. I'm fascinated by that because sleeping is delta, right? And then you're talking about alpha waves, so theta states. Because I don't know if I've ever been in it. Like people see me all the time, and I daydream often. <laughs> I wonder if, like, if I if I'm, can you put yourself into a theta state, or do you need somebody to guide you? You can absolutely put yourself into a. Um into a theta state. And that leads me directly where I was, where I was thinking of um, a very famous example of this. Thomas Edison used to put himself in a, into the theta state mm. because that is where you go when you have your best ideas. If yeah. you've ever, I mean, in your own life, you probably have experienced theta state. If you've ever been falling asleep, you know, lying in bed and you had a really good idea right before you fell asleep, that's theta because your mind is, passing through that on its way to Delta and your body's relaxed. You're just kind of dozing. And at a base level, that's kind of what hypnosis feels like. But going back to Edison, he would purposely condition his mind to be able to go back to that theta state because he would fall asleep in his favorite armchair. And he'd have, I think it was a ball bearing in his hand. And every, every time that his body was just about to enter Delta he would relax so much that he'd drop the ball bearing. Exactly. And that would wake him up and he'd condition himself to go back there. And so that's, that's a very primitive form of getting there. And like kudos to, uh, kudos to him because, you know, it definitely worked for him. Yes. But uh, for those looking to get into theta state themselves, um, I would recommend self-hypnosis. And it's a little bit different from you know, regular hypnosis when you're working with a hypnotist, because you have to be both the subject and the hypnotist. It kind of takes some practice. Right. And when I'm teaching someone self-hypnosis, I, I used to give them like the, everything I've learned in like the years and months and of learning about this distilled down in, I don't know, like a half an hour lecture. And I realized that the fastest way to do it was just to, was just to hypnotize them, to show them what it feels like, mm -hmm. and to then give them the tools to take themselves back there. And so self-hypnosis is something that I do almost daily, and it's part of my morning routine. And I found it so beneficial that I've actually kind of created a group class for that, and I can talk about that if you'd like. Yeah, well, absolutely at the end, uh, because that's sort of bringing up, like, is, is hypnosis the same as meditation? Is there like a a link between the two? There's a very strong link. It's not the same, but it's very close. So talking about those brainwave patterns again, when you are going into solo meditation, most often you are going into gamma. Your brain is actually speeding up. Oh. Your brainwaves are uh, more intense and you're hyper-focused essentially. But when you are in guided meditations, that's, that's that odd middle ground because some of them are... Um, some of them are like solo meditations. You're going faster in your brainwaves, but most of the time you're actually slowing down. You're going into that alpha state and sometimes all the way into that deep theta state. And what really gets me is when I, uh, you know, look through again, a meditation transcription 
and I can pick out pieces and parts that are drawn directly from hypnosis. Like it's very clear, like this person knows their foundation of hypnosis, or they have been taught by people who know their foundation in hypnosis because guided meditations and hypnosis are extremely similar. The only real difference between that is their, I don't want to say complexity, but like the sophistication, perhaps guided meditations are in a way kind of like a very primitive form or rudimentary form of hypnosis. But hypnosis is taking that one step further by using proven language patterns and really studying the science behind that to get people to that state, you know, as many as with as high a success rate as you can. Tell me a little bit about that, because because you said proven language. Tell me a little bit more about that. That's yeah, absolutely. So these language patterns have been studied for. I want to say around 150 years, the history of hypnosis goes all the way back to ancient Greece. They used to have what they called the sleep temples. And that's where the name hypnosis come from because hypnos was the God of sleep, you know, hence hypnosis. But yeah, um, <laughs> it's developed a long way since then. And they, they, you know, they always had kind of the framework of what they thought would work. And it wasn't until, I think it was the 1940s and 1950s that they really started to study exactly why they worked. And I say they're proven because um, these two researchers called uh, Bandler and Grindler, Grinder out of California, they went around to hypnotists and therapists and they studied exactly what it is. And they broke down line by line exactly mm -hmm. what they were saying. And they developed what they called neurolinguistic programming. And that's, it's not hypnosis, but it's like partially founded out of hypnosis. And for anyone who's heard of Tony Robbins or um, any business guru who talks about NLP, this is what it is. It's a foundation that's based on both hypnosis and therapy. It's these same language patterns and these techniques that we're using in our brain to create these changes in a very rapid way. So is it, is it the, the actual words being used or is it how they're being used in terms of the rhythms and stuff like that i mean because there, there's a book alan carr and it's like how to quit smoking or something like that yeah. and the book is actually quite hypnotic mm -hmm. again I, I i don't know the language and i know i'm using it poorly but yeah. he keeps repeating the same things over and over again and you just you realize by the end of it you're like yeah i do not want to smoke and it's one of like the the top it's one of the best-selling books to help people quit smoking and again it's it's the language that's being used but like you say the patterns and the rhythms of it so is it the specific words or is it again the rhythms i would say it's mostly the rhythms and the the patterns um hyp hypnosis when you're reading it 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 doesn't have the same effect because it's all about the pauses and the um the language, the structure of the language. Uh, to give you an idea, there's um, the idea of the hypnotic command, and that's that's kind of misunderstood because clearly you can't make anyone do anything um, that they don't want to. But when someone is in rapport with you, if you if you have a direct statement or a direct I don't know command um, like feel better tonight, if you say it, if you say it like 
if you have a pause or something to mark that out right before you say it, like in this example, like, I really hope that you feel better tonight. And that was a pretty dramatic example of it. That's what we call a hypnotic command. And the actual wording of it is not exactly important as long as what you are commanding, you know, in quotes, that has to be a direct statement. And so what we see, that's, that's why we, you know, we can, we can still I want you to blank. steal a car, right? Going back to, okay, <laughs> yeah, that's not good. Cause, cause of the brain, right? Exactly. And yeah. when you like look into this, you can, you can see how people would misconceive, you know, yes. judge this as mind control, but it's, yes. it's not because you can only really give them beneficial suggestions. Yeah. Um, you're working with them, not against them going exactly. back to, you're not telling them to steal a car or to, you know, kick an animal or something. You're telling yeah. them to feel better about yourself, breathe exactly. more things that they're yeah. already thinking of. Just like the book, Alan Carr, How to Quit Smoking. You pick that book up, not because you want to keep hacking darts, but because you want to stop. So it's accessing a part of your brain that you really do want to access. You got it. Got it. And for that, for that idea of exact language, if that were true, like it would be a hard, it'd be a hard sell to map across hypnosis yeah. to other languages, but they've got hypnosis all around the world and German and Australian and Hindu. Um, it's really about the structure. And as long as you've got like a very similar word to it, then that's fine. As long as you've got the structure and the connotation behind it. So you're mentioning that there's different practices of hypnosis in, in cultures and uh, countries. Are there different like types of, uh, of hypnosis? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was amazed just how vast the hypnosis field is. Uh, they all kind of fall into um, subcategories, I guess you can say. Like there's um, what we call direct suggestion in hypnosis. That's the most basic. That's where you are uh, putting someone in a hypnotic trance and then just giving them direct beneficial suggestions like you will feel amazing or you will sleep excellently or those very direct things. There is visualization and that's, that's very strongly connected to NLP and these often business, um, business kind of things because you are visualizing what you want. And the brain is very powerful at getting what you want when it knows what you want. But a lot of us focus on what we don't want. We focus on, I don't want to be ha unhappy or I don't want to be overweight. But your brain, it communicates in feelings and pictures. And when yes. you're creating that picture of you saying, I don't want to be unhappy, you're seeing yourself as unhappy and yes. trying to be not happy. So your brain says, all right, I see unhappiness. Let's give them unhappiness. By focusing on what you want instead, you are literally rewiring your brain to have a new target. And so that's visualization in a nutshell. We have uh, past life regression, and that's something that I, I touch in a little bit if a client wants to go there, but it's not really for me. Past life regression in a nutshell, uh, the idea that there are past lives before this one, and you are regressing someone to that past life to work out any issues that were not resolved before they died in that past life. And that's another thing. Um, one other area of hypnosis is uh, working with memory. And that's what I really like to do because when someone comes to me for anxiety, let's say they have a phobia or not, a, maybe not a phobia, maybe not even that bad, 
uh, they have an issue with dogs. And we go back in hypnosis and we discover at one point they were scared by a dog. They like thought they were going to be bitten by it. When you change that memory, you literally rewrite the foundation of every single coping mechanism that is based on that memory. And we, as human beings, we're constantly rewriting our memories every single time we access it. Hypnosis in that sense is just doing it intentionally. And when you rewrite that and you change those foundations, all of those coping mechanisms start to crumble. So it's really cool to hear, uh, hear the success stories of clients like a week or like a month or even a year afterwards to see what other changes have come about from that. Uh, to give you a brief example, uh, I worked with someone who had a fear of uh, biking, of falling off a bike. And when we changed that really foundational uh, memory, I think it was like at four years old or something, every single thing that he had been afraid of started to lose some of its power. Like he started excelling at his business and he started a blog and he, I think he even had more success in his dating life. And it was just amazing because the brain maps across the successful things that you do in your life. Whoa, that's a great point. So for listeners and for myself, it's better to focus on what it is that we want in concrete matters, like, for example, oh, I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think of a good example right now. But, well, I, I'm a teacher, and uh, and you know, kids are always in the hall and stuff. And rather than when they're running in the hall, instead of saying "Don't run in the hall," I say "Walk, walk in the hall," right? And their mind sees, okay, yeah, walking. But when we say "Don't run in the hall," all they can see is "Don't run in the hall," right? Going back to your example of, I just don't want to not be happy. All you can see is like yourself, you know, mopey (laughs) face, right? So it's what do you want, not what do you not want? So really think about those things. Yeah. So what is is the science behind that? That's because, yeah, what is the science behind that? Yeah. So we talked a little bit about the brainwave patterns and we established that already. there's another really critical thing that people need to understand about hypnosis. And that's the idea of the critical faculty. Uh, We talked about the unconscious mind, you know, protecting someone from suggestions that they wouldn't agree with. And that's the critical faculty. It's that gatekeeper that is protecting you from uh, negative suggestions. Mm. And when you are in beta, when you're just normal waking consciousness, if someone gives you a good suggestion on the street, like you're going to feel great tonight, like, cool, that, that probably doesn't really impact them at all. But if you give it to them in the hypnosis, when they're in that theta state, it's much more likely to make it past that, that guard, not because like he's fallen asleep or like he's not protecting you anymore, but in this metaphor, he's much more permissive of things to, to reach that deeper part of your mind because you've already established that this is a safe place. This is a trusting person that you're working with. And the suggestions that you are receiving, you're already most likely accepting them at some level. Wow. It makes me think that for many of us, I wonder if we're afraid of success, you know, going to that part of our brain. Like part of us holds we hold ourselves back from doing what we want to do. And, you know, maybe that's societal pressures, 
right? And and that's that that gatekeeper that you're speaking about, right? Is is that sort of is that tied into sort of how we are as societal beings? I what think point? so. Yeah, I definitely found that in my own life. I was afraid of success and <laughs> it's still something I'm working on, I guess. But because the brain in its primal sense is hardwired to want consistency. It's mm-hmm. hardwired to want the same thing over and over again. That's why we have negative coping mechanisms because the brain at one point saw that if it did this thing, it would keep you safe. It would keep you alive. Like in the example of the dog, if, um, if in that instance you ran away screaming and you didn't stop till you were half a block away, that kept you safe in that moment. And your brain instantly learned like, that's what we need to do to keep ourselves safe from dogs. And it does, even though there are so many different ways to so many better ways to handle that situation, it wants to keep things consistent because at its core, it's just trying to keep you safe. And going back to that fear of success, you don't, part of you honestly does not want that success because things have to change and it might be uncomfortable and it might be difficult to get there. You see so many people who just kind of live a a mediocre life, you know, do their job and then come home and um, watch TV and, you know, fall asleep and they dream of things, but they don't actively do things because they, because doing things would involve that risk, that element of danger. And so when I'm working with a client, it all comes down to what we call threshold, being willing to change. And the idea of threshold, as I define it, is when someone can honestly and congruently say three things. One, something needs to change. Two, it has to be me that changes. And three, it has to be right now. And when someone is at that state, they've already accepted the fears, the risk, And then the change is relatively easy to make as long as you have the right tools. It's the same idea as why a a woman who finds out she's pregnant can stop smoking or drinking cold turkey overnight. It's, it's that exact example. Right. Wow. What, as you're describing this, you know, I'm thinking about neurons and in the case of the dog, when you run away from the dog and you're safe right away, your brain has created that pathway that that is what you do. And that's how habits form, right? You know, we we're at the bar and we're having a good conversation. We light up a smoke and then right away we're developing neurons and it, that, that are creating this response that whenever we're in the situation, boom, that's what we go to. Right. And it almost sounds like hypnosis is like a, like a massage for your brain to loosen it up, to make it more susceptible to the change that you want to elicit or create. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's an excellent metaphor. That's an excellent way of looking at it. And yeah. what you mentioned about uh, the patterns and we call those anchors, at least in what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and to give you an idea, think of, for those of you who drive, you know, the listeners, think of when you sit down in your driver's seat, you're not consciously thinking of like the five dozen things that, that you have to do to get the start car started and get down the road. Like you close the door, you yes. put your seatbelt on, you start it up. So many it's, automatic responses. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that happens literally in every single part of our lives. It's whether we want it to or not. And so oh. hypnosis is just doing that intentionally creating new anchors to certain stimuli to help you 
live a more intentional life and actually aim towards something rather than just going wherever the wind takes you. Yeah. I, well, I think about my own life and the level, like how much of a catatonic state I live in. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I apologize to the listeners that bring this up all the time, but my unconscious use of my cell phone, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Like in between moments of when I'm doing something, I find I got my phone in my hand and it's like, Jesus, right? Like, it's yeah. just, yep. it's so unconscious. And it's like, what is going on with my brain in this moment in time when I'm doing this, when I'm using it to fill the void, right? I could be thinking, yeah. you know, am I losing my ability to sort of think? I wonder, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> That's a, an exact, you know, a perfect example. And in, in my own life, I came from a family that used busyness as a way to not deal with their emotions. And I didn't think that was a a negative thing because you were productive, you were getting something done until I realized I was most of the time only doing it because I didn't want to feel things. Like I'd have, I don't know, five minutes before a call or something, or, you know, 10 minutes before I had to leave the house. And I would literally start a project, even if I knew I could literally do nothing of value on that project, just so I didn't have to sit and think. And it wasn't until I discovered meditation that um, it really opened up my mind. It was, it was just the radical idea of sitting there and doing nothing. And to me, that blew my mind. Like you're, you're meaning that I'm going to be okay if I do that. And developing that skill and that muscle, it really, really helped me. And so it's, it's something that I've incorporated into my daily routine. And hypnosis is not just my only sole tool, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, that... I mean, a wonderful point that you're not alone in keeping yourself busy. And there's a big difference between being productive and being busy, right? Mm. You're just yeah. running around doing nothing all day. And I found myself doing that. Like, what the hell did I do with my day? But it flew by, right? Yep. So how can we live more intentional lives? Ooh, that's a really good question. And how to sum that up in a nutshell? I would say, first off, find something that works for you to regulate your own emotions, something healthy, um, whether that's going on a walk or doing some yoga or doing meditation, or even if it's self-hypnosis, something you know pretty drastic. Find something that works for you because we all need to be able to regulate, regulate our own emotions because that's if we're just reacting to our emotions, that's where we get into trouble. Um, I was around, I think it was Viktor Frankl who was talking about the space between our stimuli and our response. And that space is our freedom. Think of it in, um, you know, an example, let's say uh, a couple is having an argument and instead of one partner, instead of responding to that barb immediately with the first gut instinct emotion that comes up, they take that space, even if it's just a second to consider what they actually want the person to know. And that can de-escalate a conflict very quickly. So first off, find something that works for you to find that space. And second off, always be looking for the thing that gets you the most leverage. Uh, We call this the 80-20 rule or the Pareto principle or the, uh, some people call it the one thing because there's there's a very famous business book about it. Uh, The whole book can be summed down in one concept and that is, what is the one thing I can do right now such that by doing it, everything else becomes easier. 
And when I started my own business and my own podcast, I was running around in all different directions. I had no, I had no clue what I was doing. Like every single, single thing felt like it was on fire until I sat down and said, what is actually going to get me the leverage and get me where I need to go? And when I finally found that, like that was the one thing. If I did that and only that, that day, I was successful for that day. And finally, the third thing, really tying into that, is to know where you're going, not where you don't want to be. Because if you focus on where you don't want to be, that's where you're going to go. You're going to get to that same state. If you focus on where you're going, that is going to teach your mind what you want to do. And to give you kind of a metaphor, like if you're sailing out from an island on a ship, you can sail in 360 directions, but you're not going to get where you want to go unless you actively have a map and a direction to get there. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great point. Having this thing that makes sense to you and you, you've used, you know, to use your, your, your nautical language, there's been anchors, there's been sailing, right? Where, where using your mast, right? Your, <laughs> your, uh, sheets or whatever i don't know anything about i'm no sailor but anyways (laughs) where are you going right and you're not going to go anywhere if you don't have your you know the flags up or whatever what is it called a sail Sail. you don't have your sea up obviously (laughs) you're not going to go anywhere if your sails aren't up right yeah so what is bringing you meaning what is helping giving you direction and Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's a great point so so at what point in your life did you say to yourself, okay, I need something. This isn't, this isn't working. What oh, gosh, brought you this to is, this? Yeah, this is a whole story. I'll, I'll keep it brief. I grew up in rural Wisconsin where there wasn't really a lot of venture to be had. Mm-hmm. And I'd struggled with mental health and depression and anxiety most of my life. And I went off to college and I was still kind of in the backseat of my own life. I was doing things that other people wanted me to do. Like I, I wanted to be a writer. I knew that, but I didn't. I didn't really think I needed to be going to college. I just was expected to. And so in college, I started questioning all those beliefs. I ended up leaving college looking for, you know, the proverbial purpose of my life. And I bounced around the U.S. I started doing seasonal work in Maine and New Hampshire. And I was still struggling with those anxiety, uh, those anxious feelings and that depression. And it wasn't until I spent a winter in the White Mountains of New Hampshire that really shook me up because the white mountains are beautiful they are amazing for hiking in but they get very dark and they get very cold and it was an absolutely perfect metaphor like externally for my life because like i could have a great day and then at five o'clock it would turn bitterly cold and there was no light and yeah kind of terrifying and at the end of my stay in new hampshire i had a hike that i almost froze to death on i was going out on a um, a very famous hike. I was kind of stubborn because I only had 10 days left to be in New Hampshire and I wanted to get this hike done before I left. That was my own young stupidity. But um, I I, I went up and uh, it was blizzarding conditions all over the place. Like I could only see about 10 feet in any direction. And so I missed my, my trailhead heading back down the mountain and I ended up getting lost and bushwhacking down this mountain. And I was fighting through these trees that had literally like grown together because they hadn't been disturbed in so long. I followed the stream and it was getting dark and my clothes were soaked. 
um, because I'd been overheating and it was snowing. And I remember it must have been like seven or eight o'clock after hiking hours that day, I climbed up this little hill and I slid down and I did that again and again. And the third time I laid there and I just thought about giving up, about freezing to death. And I realized no one was coming to save me. Like I was so far off the trail. I was, I was the only one who was going to save myself. And it was, it wasn't like the idea of be of, of like my future self or my kids or my wife or whatever, like all those things you see in Hallmark movies. It was the random thought that they wouldn't find me until springtime that got me up. And it was just that mental switch. Like my mind just kind of turned off and said, I'm just going to see how far I can get. And I eventually found my way to the road and I shuffled along this cross country trail back to my car, got back completely exhausted. And that whole hike was a major turning point in my life. I thought that after that, I'd be able to go back to life as it was. But for a week afterwards, I was literally shaking because I was so anxious. That was as close to death as I had ever come. And uh, after that week, I fell into a couple of weeks of depression. And I finally realized, like, I've got to do something about this. I can't just wait for someone else to fix my problem. And so I can't wait for spring for them to find me. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I had to find something that fixed or find something that I could use to work through these issues. And I started grasping at straws and eventually I, I grasped meditation and that proved to be very substantial. And I fell in love with it. And I studied things from psychology and from Buddhism and all the research on meditation. And eventually that led me to hypnosis. And um, ever since they've just been integral parts of my lives. And since I know how effective they are, it's really become my mission to help bring those to people who are also struggling and who don't yet realize that we are able to influence our emotions so easily. Wow. And, and, and even just by entering this, this theta state through, you know, mental massage, hypnosis, (laughs) right. That you can, completely changed the direction of your life yeah so so for people who want to practice this what what advice can you give them what's a way that they can kind of start to work on self-hypnosis um today yeah they want to practice self-hypnosis oh the best way as i mentioned is to is to experience what hypnosis feels like and then get yourself back there. Mm-hmm. Because I can give you, you know, all the language patterns and try to teach you how to do it, but hypnosis is a feeling state. And once you're in that state, once you know what it feels like, you can get back there. And it might, it might, you know, you might need a guide at first to kind of show you the ropes, but yeah. if you're at home right now and just listening to this, um, listen to a free hypnosis on, on YouTube. There's so many of them. And find out what it feels like. And then the next time you want to practice that, just close your eyes and see how close you can get to that exact feeling. Because the amazing thing about our brains is that when we, when we, when we, how do you say it? When we form the, I don't want to say the symptoms of it, but the signs of something. Right. um, Then our brain reverses the process and induces that feeling. It's that concept of, body posture yeah. like when you stand confidently your body says your bo- your brain says your body is all right feeling confident you might as well feel confident too 
And you can do that with hypnosis. You can put yourself into um, a state, you know, close your eyes and relax your face and just feel those things that you were feeling in that hypnosis. And more often than not, it will get you to that hypnotic state. Your brain will take you there. That's, I, that's a really wonderful point because it's like when you have a really good drink, you go, ah, right? Yeah. There's that sort of, you know, my daughter does it all the time. It's hilarious. <laughs> but there's something about breathing and just like, oh, I'm relaxed. And your brain's like, yeah, I'm relaxed. Yeah. But for like, shit, I'm stressed out. Your brain is like, yep, I'm stressed out too. Yep. We are such cerebral creatures, right? I mean, if we're guilty of one thing, it's of overthinking. Hmm. And we can kind of get stuck here in our prefrontal cortex, which is a, you know, a, an amazing mechanism. It, it, it's what makes us rational beings, but it's also what, again, like you say, is the cause of our anxiety and our depression is because we are we're overthinking things hmm. and to kind of get into that theta state, that relaxation state and redirect our thoughts, right? Like it's almost like, hypnotic CBT or something. Yeah. Cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, Like, what are your thoughts on what I was saying there? Is that, does that sound like it's meshing with? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually, when I'm working with anxiety clients, I give them these two to three minute tools that they can use in between sessions. I've actually created that for everyone, I guess, on my website. It's a Mm. video series, but those are tools that come from meditation and yoga and breath work and body posture. Like they're not technically hypnosis, but they're kind of hypnotic in a way. Like the most common or the most well-known one is the, the idea of breath work. Um, I, I use 7-Eleven breathing. And the whole concept is you breathe out for longer than you breathe in. You exhale. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They call it, it goes by many names, but you are literally re you are sending a signal back up the pipeline to your brain up the vagus nerve and that vagus nerve is is responsible for making your heart you know be faster when you're afraid but by reversing the signal your your body's like it's okay to be calm your brain says all right i'll feel calm as well so the the vagus nerve that the i can't speak that's the one that goes from your brain to your heart or does it go further down I know that it goes to your heart and your lungs and your chest cavity. I don't, ex- I don't remember exactly how far it goes down, but it controls parasympathetic or unconscious control of your heart and your lungs. Yeah. So I, I love that. So you, you breathe in for seven seconds and you breathe out for 11. Yep. And, and what does that extra uh, three, three seconds do? Four. It, it, yeah. It's, <laughs> It expels more of that carbon dioxide because yes. when we look at the science of the science of um, when someone can't breathe, it's yes. not that their body is registering a lack of oxygen. Their body is registering an overabundance of carbon dioxide. CO2. Yeah. And so that's what makes you panic when you can't breathe. And you. so by exhaling <laughs> your CO2, yeah. your body is literally like, all right, there's, there's not a lot of it here. Right. So we can feel relaxed. Dude, man. You, okay. You blew my mind on that. Thank <laughs> you so much for that. Yeah. Have you heard of tapping as well? I have. Yeah. That's another it, one that 
that's another thing that often gets um, lumped into the hypnosis conference, but right. um, it's something I've got, I've got just enough knowledge about to be dangerous with, I guess you could say. Okay. Uh, it's one of those tools that I also use with clients to help relieve anxiety. Okay. Do you mind last one on the, on the tapping? And then I want to, I want you to talk about how people can, can reach you and, yeah. and, and hear more about you, Doug. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So a little bit about tapping. It's all about um, tapping the, the meridians that people use in acupressure and acupuncture. And these meridians, uh, they're, not, they're studied by science. It's not just like woo-woo uh, mm. things. And the amazing thing is that these meridians have been found across cultures. I mean, acupressure and acupuncture is famous in the East, but they have found ancient, um, ancient remains in, in Western Europe of completely different societies where these meridians are tattooed in the exact locations on their bodies because people knew that these locations, you know, you tap them and you felt different. And so there are certain, like a, a tapping expert has a thousand different tools and techniques that um, they use. Like, you know, you tap this way if you're feeling this pain in this part of your body, but I found like there's a six step tapping regimen that really takes up about 80% of the issues. And uh, I've actually created a video of that in that email or that video series I was talking about. But if you'd like, I could talk through it. It's kind of, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. please. Yeah. So uh, if someone is interested, it's called EFT. I think it's emotional freedom technique, but in a nutshell, this is about um, releasing a negative emotion. And so first thing you do, you rate your negative emotion on a scale of one to 10. And this allows you to compare it at the end of it. So let's say you're feeling anxious. You don't want to feel that way. And so your anxious is, your anxiety is at a seven. And so you tap six different locations. The first one is at the very top of your head. Imagine like running down the center line of your body, top, tap the top of your head. And the second one, tap the, um, that same ridge line in the middle of your skull, right above your eyebrows where they meet. Okay. And then the third one, you tap horizontally on either edge, either outermost edge of your eye, the corner where it meets. And then the fourth one is your eye socket right underneath either eye again. You tap that. The fifth one, people get messed up on, but you can tap on either side of your sternum right under your clavicle. So if you feel that clavicle bone that goes up from your shoulders down to your chest plate. Um, you tap like an inch underneath that on either side. And then your sixth one, you take your wrist, you either slap it or you just grab it and squeeze firmly. And so to put that all together into what you'd actually do, you say your anxiety is at a seven. And so as you're going through and tapping each of these, ta- each of these spots, you say a word that reminds you of anxiety, like perhaps it's just anxiety, like Anxiety, 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 as you tap. And that keeps that emotion, like it it pins it down essentially so that it doesn't run away and you're not like tapping on your hunger all of a sudden. But um, you tap, you you do multiple rounds of that. And then after each round, you check in, where is it? And usually it'll go from like a seven to a four, like a one to you. The key here is that one, you tap hard enough that you can hear it externally, but not so much that you hurt, right. uh, hurt yourself. And two, that you always take it to zero, 
with any of the techniques that I teach in that video series, always take it to zero. Because if you take your negative emotion from a seven down to a two, that's great. But you're also unconsciously teaching your brain that it's okay to have that level two anxiety and just like leave it in the background. Yeah. Living your whole life at a level two anxiety. Exactly. Exactly. Right. What are the health repercussions of that? Oh gosh. Yeah. Wow. Dude, uh, Doug, thank you so much. Um, how can, how can people find you? Oh gosh. <laughs> There's yeah. quite a few ways. My main website is anywherehypnosis.com. Okay. That's my official practice. Um, on that website, they can find my um, seven-day stress-free challenge. That's where I detail all seven of the most powerful techniques that I give my anti-anxiety clients in between sessions in case uh, something comes up. Those are completely free on my website. It's personally, like, I think that's one of the most valuable things I give out because those are the six techniques that really got me away from that nice edge of anxiety and allowed me to make some big changes. I'd also send people to... Instagram. My handle is at making your meaning because there I have a, a hypnotic test drive. And for anyone who is interested in hypnosis at all, if they've never tried it, that's where you can experience hypnosis for free. And it's not like just me putting you in a nice state. It's me actually using tools and techniques from my client sessions to actually create change. Cause I know that hypnosis can be cost prohibitive for some, but I it's, I don't know. It's like my, it's my way of giving back essentially. Yeah. Um, and the last one that I, or there's two more, I guess. I call myself, you know, my handle is at Making Your Meaning because I run the Making Meaning podcast where I interview people who have really stepped into that front seat, that driver's seat of their life. Mm -hmm. And the last one is um, I'm running a group class called the Intro to Self-Hypnosis. And it's coming out February 1st and 2nd, 2021. But for anyone who's listening to that in the future, uh, this is something I'm going to be repeating, I don't know, every three months or so. Awesome. Um, and that, in a nutshell, is teaching you the, the basics of hypnosis. It's giving you that, uh, that hypnosis session and then giving you the tools to get back there. Wow. And Doug, thank you so much for, uh, for your insight. Um, I really do appreciate it. And uh, I'm definitely going to use that, the 7-Eleven uh, of the breathing in and the breathing out and the EFT. So. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Once again, that was Doug Sands. You can check out his website at Anywhere Hypnosis. Uh, just Google search that or his handle for Instagram is Making Your Meaning. I love what uh, Doug was sharing with us. The one thing that I really want to incorporate into my own practice is that 7-11 rule. So breathing in for seven seconds and exhaling for 11 to get rid of that extra carbon dioxide and, and, and what that could do for our bodies. Um, yeah, I, uh, I appreciate everything he had to share. And uh, once again, for our own practice, how can we get into the, that theta state, that relaxation state? where we can get rid of some of that built-up stress. I hope you appreciated this episode as much as I did, and I look forward to being with you again soon. Take care. Thank you again for listening. I'm Robert Grant, and I'm probably wrong about everything.